Brethren and sisters, brethren, hey, screwheads, listen up. Before we begin, it's time to discuss ongoing business. Before we begin what comes before we begin, we have to address the snack treats situation. Snacks, yes. Yes, yes. I'm mm. hungry. Absolute snacks. We before need snacks. we begin yes. what precedes what begins, that which comes before we begin, we have to consider the drink selection. Well, before we begin, uh, what precedes what begins, prior to that which precedes what begins, that antecedents, um, we could stop to consider the powder selection. Yeah? Oh, come on. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Come on. That's what I'm talking hey, quiet, about. You. All right, all right. Quiet, hey, it's time for other business. The hazardous materials vault has been resealed, and I've stuck that weird time map in there. Is someone watching over it? Oh, yes. Top men. Ooh, what men are these? Top men. All these tops and not a single bottom. Huh. Okay, so what's next? Item two. We're going to need men um, of the top variety. Phrasing. Here's Ser uh, seriously, <laughs> all I got down there is Brother Methuselah and a broom, and the broom technically outranks him. Oh, that guy again, Jesus. Hey, here's a point of order. What about my goddamn shop? It's a disaster area. I demand compensation. <laughs> if you're referring to Operation Someone Else's Problem, it was a complete success. Yeah, it's my problem. And that makes me your problem until it's fixed. You know, I heard the chumps have formed a literary discussion circle, but I guess that's someone else's problem. Hey! Well, we could just take some money out of the ludicrously overblown bug powder budget. Hey! This is not other business. It's not on my other business list. This is unauthorized additional business. I promise we'll deal with it later. <sighs> Fine. Okay, so what is tonight's movie? <laughs> I guess we forgot to pick one. Uh, um, I have a little-known experimental psychodrama from... No! Wait, you guys really just watch movies? Weren't you paying attention? You read the word film like five times. Yeah, no. I wasn't paying attention at all. And I kind of thought you were all like LARPing or something. <laughs> we don't just watch movies. Tell her! Tell me what? Should I be worried? We watch terrible and weird movies and decide if they're gonna make people start to... Everybody knows the terrible and highly specific symptoms of Cinemania. There's no point going over it again. But what is Cine... Moving on. I still don't... Moving on. We watch them, we scrutinize them, we stick them in the vault. So, like a Mystery Science Theater meets Siskel and Ebert kind of deal? More like the Legion of Doom meets the Onion AV Club, but basically, yeah. Huh. And all this time, I figured it was just a shuttered, lackluster video. Oh, wow. There hasn't been a lackluster video since 1998. Well, actually, it was front row video. First, before lackluster bought them out, and then the chain went bankrupt after a series of scandals involving the FBI and an international nuclear arms uh, dealing uh, ring. I, I really don't care. So, let's watch a movie. That sounds fun. I've got time to kill until my store gets repaired, I guess. So, who runs this whole deal? Do you follow some sort of ancient prophecy or something? Ooh, is there a chosen one? Well, um, <clears throat> we like fezzes. And mind-enhancing, entirely medicinal substances. 
Our duties are many, our responsibilities dire, our reach is infinite, and our punctuality is pretty good. Right, Andre? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, we all throw out suggestions and end up watching whichever one we can find a tape of. Hmm. Well, I think I have an old VHS of the hunger in my bag. Oh, here it is. Want to watch this? Uh, I don't know. You usually uh, have to ponder on this for David at least a Bowie week beforehand. I mean, uh, do you have uh, a better selection? Well, interloper, since you already have it handy, I guess we can watch it. Are you prepared to be Pontifex of Presentment? Pointy who or the what now? It means the person who picked the movie. Oh, yeah, I guess. What do I need to do? I mean, well, you've already provided the sacred scroll. He means the VHS. Are you prepared to summarize the film? Sure. David Bowie is a vampire. Sexy vampire shenanigans ensue. Uh, yeah, we're <laughs> we're going to need a little more than that. <laughs> nah, I'll fill in the gaps as we go along. Fine, but you have to bring your own fez. Will a mysterious cloak do? I already lined the hood with foil. I like this one. She can stay. Within the depths of the strip mall of the damned, this is the TPD shopping plaza, guys. Lies the decrepit video store long since shuttered. Well, that part's true. Just read the script, please. Past the dusty shelves, empty save for spiders spinning their patient webs and weirdos spinning their crazy conspiracy theories. Beyond the ancient batwing doors, guarding the sepulchre where once were hidden the perverse and heretical, aka the old porno section, a secret society assembles. You're only secret because you never go outside. Stick to the script! To scrutinize those films which are rumored to drive viewers to madness and disillusion. We'll see about that. Draw closer, dear listener. I don't think anyone's actually listening to this. Let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge. <clears throat> crazy rantings of the Cinemania Society. <laughs> Y'all take yourselves way too seriously. Where's that paper? Oh, yeah. All right. Welcome, brethren and sister. Wait, is it a sister and something for catching rainwater? Just read what's on the goddamn paper! Ugh, fine. Welcome, brethren and cistern, to this conclave of the Cinemania Society. Please be seated, lords. And welcome to our listeners, if you exist, to whom I will now issue this warning. We, the disciples of the Cinemania Society, have studied the mysteries of... No, I'm not reading this. Listen. We're going to use salty language. A lot of it. We're also going to talk about things that aren't for kids. If you can't handle any of that for some reason, or if you are a kid yourself, and seriously, where the fuck are your parents? How'd you get a hold of this podcast if you're a kid? Anyways, you're probably better off listening to a different podcast. Got it? Okay. Let's see who's here. I'm guessing you don't want to call me Doña Esperanza Servando Cortina Zamora de la Rosa de Ruiz Bravo all the time. Well, we can't just call you Hope. Why not? It doesn't fit with our aesthetic. It's not very ominous, is it? And what aesthetic is that, exactly? I am 
Sinquisitor Ethan, keeper of the lenses. I don't see any lenses. What the fuck is a Sinquisitor? Profligator Daniel, possessor of the word. How do you possess the word? Scrutinizer Zachariah here, guardian of the door. Oh yeah, you're doing a real good job with that door, buddy. Hey! Repositor Andre, voice from the outer world. Does that mean he's literally phoning it in? <laughs> Professor Andrea, scholar of San Francisco. Token girl, got it. Verifier Andy, master illuminator. Andre, Andrea, and Andy. No way that's gonna get confusing. And I am- Shut up. I have, rather, had a bookstore. So how about keeper of the books? And you can call me Auntie Hope. That's what the kids call me when I teach my dark arts and crafts class, which I now have to cancel. <laughs> Gotta remember to make some calls. Oh, uh, Keeper of the Books. Does that mean you can take a look at our budget? Listen, I'm gonna need some men. Keeper of the Books, not Bookkeeper. <laughs> What's the difference? Oh, it's the difference between working in a zoo and just having an elephant in your lounge that you don't talk about. I'm, uh, Auntie Hope, Keeper of the Books. I will be serving as a, what you call it again? Pontifex of Presentment. Right. Pontifex of presentment for tonight's movie. Subject of scrutiny. Sorry, sorry. Subject of scrutiny, The Hunger, a film from 1983 directed by Tony Scott, who went on to create the kinds of things you think of when someone says they had a sack of cocaine and a movie camera and made magic with hookers. Scrutinizer Zachariah will act as master castigator for this conclave. Scrutinizer Zachariah, present the charges. All right. Number one. Belief that chain smoking is a substitute for personality. Two, not letting David fucking Bowie do a theme tune. Three, abuse of a random underbridge roller disco flash dancing dude. Uh, massive overuse of moody lighting. C, massive overuse of flappy gauze drapes. Item six, Extending the suspension of disbelief that that many doves can be in a one room, one speck of bird shit, describing your makeup effects as illusions, inspiring a generation to wear round sunglasses at night, <coughs> guilty, only David Bowie can do that, and turning Susan Sarandon into the most iconic bisexual since Susan Sarandon in Rocky Horror Picture Show or even Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise. Serious trigger warnings. Blood, sexual content, violence, like a lot of all of those. Thank you, Scrutinizer Zachariah. To read the first section of our summary of The Hunger, Sinquisitor Ethan. Okay, The Hunger. We open on a dimly lit scene. Robert Smith of The Cure is dancing behind a wire fence. What? And the very first thing everybody surely must be thinking is, where's Bela Lugosi? 
you know, we all totally want to see him alive and kicking in a vampire movie, and gosh, I sure hope he is alive. <laughs> that guy isn't Robert Smith. The band isn't The Cure. It's someone even cooler. That's Peter fucking Murphy, and the band is fucking Bauhaus. Robert Smith had been more commercially popular, but he was the Kirkland signature to Peter Murphy. Couple fun notes about Peter Murphy. Murphy was also notably the original casting choice for Fletcher Christian in Tony Scott's big brother, Ridley Scott's 1984 film, The Bounty. This means that the brother Scotts have recognized the majesty of the godfather of goth. Unfortunately for the world, however, Peter Murphy lost out to Mel Gibson, who ended up playing Mr. Christian opposite Anthony Hopkins as Captain Bly. <sighs> Such a shame. Oh yeah, Neil Gaiman confirms that Murphy was the original model for Dream, the lead character in its landmark comic, Sandman. Now, completely badass, awesome series on Netflix. Seriously, if you haven't seen it, do you see it? Anyhow, you were saying? Um, wow. Okay, so so Peter Murphy, I take yeah. it back. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Bela Lugosi dead by Bauhaus. Blair's in the background making sure we know damned well that someone here is undead, undead, undead. The scene pulls out to reveal a warehouse party that looks like someone cleared out the 80s-themed section of a Halloween store and threw everything into a horde of early 80s music video background dancers. In the most unrealistic scene we're going to have in this movie, people are dancing excitedly to Bauhaus. <laughs> <laughs> this is pre-Spirit's Halloween store, by the way. Pre-Spirit. Uh, we see the dancers reflected in some very cool sunglasses that are gradually revealed to be worn by David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. So we know they're sexy and awesome because they're wearing their sunglasses at night, indoors, while smoking. Now, they're already smoking, and now they're also smoking while smoking, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Bowie and Deneuve are here looking hungry, and they've come for takeout and that's what they do. They pick up a couple they like out of all the young dudes. Would you say that they are hungry like the wolf? Oh. Uh, 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 uh. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, no. We're, we're not even getting close to the whole neuromantics and Duran Duran simple <laughs> stuff yet. We're deep in the early, early 80s now. All right, all right, okay. Okay, so we cut to their dark, chic, very 80s apartment straight out of Miami Vice because they're dark, chic very 80s swingers they've each brought home their conquests who proceed to dance in front of an old school projector because this will be one of those artsy high class orgies the hosts divide and conquer bowie luring his lady friend into the kitchen by seductively tapping the empty ice bucket no ice he says in that sexy way which makes you think he wants your cubes honestly bowie can do just about anything seductively Hot and heavy makeout sessions begin, but they consist mostly of a sort of angry licking um, until Bowie and Deneuve pull out their tiny necklace daggers, trademark, and slice open some necks. This is modern love, I guess. The scene cuts back and forth between vampires and a video feed of two monkeys in a cage. They never say the word vampire, but if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and drinks the blood of its victims like a duck, then sounds like you got yourself a duckula. God. As... As the vampires feed on their victims, one monkey goes absolutely ape shit and eats the other. Maybe this is Tony Scott. It's a monkey, a not out. an ape. Yes, that's true. And I can, if you want, can't remember, there's an easy rhyme that I can teach you to tell the difference. Monkeys have tails, apes don't. That didn't rhyme. That doesn't rhyme, Dave. <laughs> that's why you can remember it. <laughs> 
anyway, maybe this is Tony Scott making a point about some, something, something monkeys? Fuck, I don't know. I mean, everybody was on cocaine. It was the early 80s. Jesus Christ. After their dinner, <laughs> Bowie and Deneuve get in the shower to wash off all their sins and promise each other forever. It's only forever. Not long at all. Uh, didn't we have an agreement that you wouldn't sing? Oh, God. <laughs> so there's four of them. Uh, when they're all making out, does that technically make it an orgy? Because I, I would think that would be like, you know, a two couple thing. How many people do you need before it's technically an orgy? And they divided and conquered. Two were in the kitchen and two were in the yeah, living room. So yeah. it wasn't. I, Isn't that just a swap? I would say by the technical yeah. definition, this is not an orgy. Yeah. I thought an orgy was five or more. Five or more. I, I thought I think, it was four or more. I don't know. Should we consult Wikipedia? I don't know. We need we need like uh, I think it would have to be an odd number. It's technically what makes it's it not orgy. really an orgy unless there's one person on their own in the corner feeling guilty and unable to really take part <laughs> and just wondering what the hell they're doing here. <laughs> you seem to be speaking well, that certainly wouldn't experience. be very ordinary. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I was right. I was right. According to orgy etiquette, you need four or more people. Four or more. Okay. There you go. Where do you All find right. this etiquette? Is there a book? <laughs> do you write to Dear Prudence? <laughs> uh, it just makes me think of that bit from Key and Peel. Just pop, 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 man. <laughs> wow, I really regret bringing that up. Forever? Eternal youth? By drinking the blood of the young? I see, I see. I just need to, um, attend to something over here. Did someone hear something? Uh, someone better check on the old ball sack. It might break a hip or something. Well, volunteer, thank you for your service. Uh, all right. Hey, BM, are you down here? Told you not to go wandering off. There is some bad shit stored away under this place. Cool. Indeed! Wait, what? <laughs> hey, stop that! What? What is that? A tiny knife? Behold! Dude, seriously? <laughs> I step you! I step you again! <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm standing over here. Look, this is just embarrassing for both of us. You know you're attacking a mop, right? Wait, wait, what? Seriously wearing those stupid round sunglasses down here? What is that, black nail polish? What is wrong with you? Oh, well, I was going for a look, you see, and I thought it was quite fetching. Well, while you're down here, can you just fetch some snacks, like pickles or kumquats or something? All right. Jesus, what a night. Oh, confound it all. I thought I looked quite the funky, fresh night stalker. Hey, guys. You know, this movie really kind of kicked off the whole 80s goth vampire look, didn't it? Goth really started uh, as a post-punk movement. Uh, it was tracked down by people who were really into bands like uh, the Velvet Underground and Joy Division which really got their goth sound and the whole style of goth really came one the first bound bands like Bauhaus and uh Susie and the Banshees and the Cure got started 
you have a lot of people taking their styles from Susie Sue and David Bowie and then going back into more of a Victorian Elizabethan uh, style as opposed to like the more dark kind of punky Sid Vicious uh, look. But then you get, you know, Robert Smith and people taking looks from Bella Lugosi and, uh, you know, the Adams family and Betty Page and uh, one of my favorite guys is this keyboardist um, called Johnny Slut, who, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it all really started in this club, uh, which had a goth night that was called the Bat Cave in uh, Soho in the early 80s, which literally had the Halloween rubber bats hanging from the ceiling. And, you know, I was, no, I was just going to ask you, isn't uh, yeah. like sort of the one of the big hallmarks of the goth subculture is you might say like alternative sexuality and alternative relationships? Yeah, you do get that. You see, there's there's this whole thing uh, in goth where you're kind of viewing yourself as the monster who is ostracized, but, you know, is still sexually alluring, which is why you get all these people even to this day saying, I just want, you know, the big titty goth girl. They don't understand really what they're going to get into, which is like, you know, a lot of very fetishy, kinky, you know, they're going to wind up finding themselves handcuffed to something and wondering why the hell that she's putting on a strap on. Speaking yeah. of goths, I just want to do a shout out to Nick the goth from Trash Film Orgy. If you're listening, <laughs> uh, we're thinking about you there, buddy. Thanks for running the spanking booth all those years. <laughs> that was those were good times but um going back to uh fashion there's general influences of goth you always have had this sort of horror film uh goth crossover and that goes back to places like the bat cave and you know taking from uh early edgar Allan poe and that feeling of moroseness and the acceptance that everything is sort of, you know, in decline, that things fall apart. Uh, even if the center holds, things still fall apart. There's so you're, that... you're saying they're basically bat hippies? <laughs> <laughs> in a way, without that happiness to it. Um, goth is also interesting as a subculture and that it has no like particular one drug that is the defining drug for that uh, subculture. Like Except maybe cigarettes. Uh, yeah. Heroin. Cl cloves. cigarettes. Up until this point as well, the vampire movie was played out. I mean, all through the 70s, it mm -hmm. was all just cheesier and cheesier vampire movies, mostly either exploitation or set in Victorian times or whatever. And then this you have the, the goth movement coming in and suddenly it's a perfect match. Goths plus vampires. It yeah. works. And yeah, I mean, the preceding this was all the Hammer Films stuff where they were kind of, you know, beating the, the Dracula story. To yeah, death. the son of the son of Dracula. Yeah. And also at this time, you also have authors like uh, Anne Rice started. I mm -hmm. believe she wrote Interview with a Vampire in the or mid 1970s. Yeah, it was, well, it was really some new life, as it were, into the vampire. It was really universe. time for a new look at vampires. And definitely this movie said, hang on, we've got the goths. We've got the idea of the vampire film, which needs revitalization, brings them all together. Mm -hmm. And it's a match made in heaven.
Uh, cut to a lab run by Susan Saranwrap's character, Dr. Sarah Roberts, who is the one doing weird things involving provoking monkeys, and she doesn't know what the fuck happened. Maybe they just don't like her brand of off-the-cuff observational comedy. Uh, Dr. Roberts is doing research into Brigeria and slowing the aging process. And if you want to have a really nightmarish time on Google, just Google Progeria and go to Google Images and you will see some shit you will never, ever, ever forget. Um, they do show us some pictures and of she mispronounces it. She says Progeria. Like, you would think that Tony Scott would stop her and say, it's pronounced Progeria. Uh, well, maybe he thought it sounded more educated that way. Listen, out. when it's Susan Sarandon, she can say whatever the hell she wants, and you just have to go with it. That's the oh. stature of this woman. Uh, anyway, so she's doing research into progeria, slowing the aging process, and Bowie discovers this, watching her being interviewed on TV by the world's most bland and disinterested chat show host. Bowie's TV time in the now slightly less dimly lit apartment is interrupted by a small androgynous tween with a Polaroid camera, whom we learn is named Alice, who is here for her violin lesson. And seriously, fucking boomer parents let their kids go goddamned anywhere in the 80s. No, <laughs> no wonder there had to be so many PSAs in the 80s teaching kids about stranger danger, because I mean, these guys are literally people eating swinger couple, and this kid just goes over <laughs> to learn violin from them. No questions there. But they seem like such a nice guy. I mean, it's just across the street. It's not that far. Her parents can probably see her through the window. Yeah, yeah, she's fine. Yeah, the, yeah, totally. No, no worries at all. Um, anyway, so, like, the Anyway, Bowie, Deneuve, and the kid Wonder arrange into a classical trio in front of a large bay window with copious amounts of gauzy curtains waving around. Well, I suppose if you're going to play a violin for David Bowie in the 80s, you can be damn sure there will be gauzy drapes everywhere. Naturally, and Bowie this is plays. not the last we're going to see of those gauzy drapes. They are fucking everywhere for the rest of this film. Oh, yeah. yeah. Naturally, Bowie plays the cello, the sexiest of all instruments, except for the French horn. While Deneuve plays the piano, and we see flashbacks of them playing the same instruments in 18th century France, or possibly England. Uh, one way or the other, we're pretty sure it's the 18th century, because suddenly, for some reason, Bowie and Deneuve are wearing clothing that roughly approximates the 18th century, and we see Bowie has a little ponytail. Oh, well, if he has a ponytail, it must be a different decade. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, that must have been before they got good at playing, you know, when they were absolute beginners. The flashbacks either take place in the distant past or a little later on in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's he's playing the cello. There's always room for cello. Well, you know, he was going to start running up that hill. One time when I was in college, I was walking past one of the music buildings and I heard someone practicing their cello. And it was just so beautiful and so sexy sounding. And I wanted to go up and see who it was. And I didn't have the courage. So even now, like um, like 15, almost 20 years later, I still think of that. Like, what if I'd gone up and seen who was playing this cello? Who was playing this super sexy instrument? It's still, like, it lives rent-free in my mind. Probably just some random person for whom God made up for lack of chin by giving them extra Adam's apple. Hey, you want to <laughs> hear me play my cello? Hey, come on up here. I'm going to fiddle on this thing for you. <laughs> Or even worse. Or maybe a really sexy woman like Catherine Deneuve. I don't know. Maybe she plays the cello too. I wish I'd gone up and seen who was playing that cello. Hold on. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I just remembered, speaking of Susan Sarand, wasn't she also in The Witches of Eastwick? And didn't she yeah, play, I think and she didn't, was. And didn't she play a cello in that? And there was the whole scene of him, like, you know, spreading her legs and 
rolling up her skirt and you think he's going to do something to her and he puts the cello in <laughs> between her legs. I don't know if it was her, but that was an awesome scene. <clears throat> all right, let's uh, come bringing it all back in to Susan Sarandon's totally legit monkey lab. We see Sarandon's co-worker, whom I shall call Dr. Snoop L. Jackson, because he's just so laid back and cool like most scientists, explaining that there is a connection between a person's blood type and how much they sleep, which in turn affects how quickly you age. Basically, when you stop sleeping, you die. And I can confirm this. That's a real thing. If you do stop sleeping, you do eventually die. And medical science basically considers anything more than 72 hours without sleep to be uh, pretty dangerous, medically speaking. Um, and anyway. doesn't the Geneva Convention consider that to be torture? Um, yeah, yeah. Sleep deprivation is considered to be a method of torture for, for real. Sadly, the Geneva Convention never did apply to monkeys. <laughs> basically when you stop sleeping you die but right before you die you turn into scary monsters and super creeps which we later learn is what caused the monkey to go off the deep end and eat his buddy uh, through the medium of flashbacks we get the idea that our two hungry hungry hipsters have been doing this for a long time however Bowie confronts Deneuve and actually we learn later that they are named John and Miriam but honestly who cares and accuses her of wanting Alice to be next we don't yet know next what, but it's clear that Bowie obviously feels pretty betrayed. And he also mentions not sleeping lately. It's confusing. He seems like he's surprised that he's not going to live forever, but then he asks Miriam how long the others took, so obviously we know something was up. Miriam just wants to enjoy the time they have, those golden years. Wop, wop, wop. Bowie puts on his best going outside clothes because some people actually can pull off a fedora and trench coat combo and heads down to Sarandon's lab, which is conveniently within walking distance of his apartment. He Starting looks like to... Dick Tracy in this bit. <laughs> he he kind of does, but oddly, yes, he's one of those few people who can pull off the trench coat and fedora combo without looking like, uh, you know, a libertarian about to go into a rant about why the age of consent should be lowered just before he shows you his collection of gas station katanas. I think that he could even get away with saying milady in that outfit. <laughs> I was just going to say no one. Like I'm going to tell you as a as a as a woman no one can get away with saying milady. No one. unless it's David Bowie. No, not even David Bowie. Uh, oh, also, just a quick note, I want to shout out to Robert Evans for giving me that bit, which I totally ripped off from him, so thank you, Robert. <laughs> anyway, so um, he tries While to explain... While you were enjoying to... my Berlin period, I was studying the blade. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he tries to explain to her that he's starting to age rapidly, but she was... She has a meeting to get to right now, and he gets extra creepy and screams, I am a young man, a young man, which is totally a thing that young men do. Totally stable young men, mentally stable. Screaming <laughs> about your sanity or something we've seen again and again in these movies is a great way to prove your sanity. Prove the point that you are completely sane, indeed. Worked for okay, Sam so Neill. <laughs> worked for Sam Neill, it worked for Alan Bates. It, yeah, it's, it's a recurring theme. But, okay, so Sarandon um, gently escorts Bowie to a waiting room, promises to be back in 15 minutes, and promptly alerts security as soon as she's out of sight, which is not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> Sarandon is in 
her obviously not 15 minute long meeting and gets down to some serious monkey business. She checks a video feed of the crazy ass monkey that uh, shows that after he gets done eating his buddy, he begins to age super rapidly to the point that he decomposes in a matter of minutes. Like this is actually a, 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 quite an enjoyable piece of stop motion animation that they do here and probably ate up a good chunk of the film's budget. You but, have a very different definition of enjoyable than I do. Well, it's at least reminiscent of the rapid decomposition scene in Evil Dead, which yeah. they did on a whole lot less budget. But anyway, Ashes to Ashes indeed, which this does not bode well. Uh, this is uh, something I would say is more even than foreshadowing, probably close to more like five shadowing. Uh, <laughs> Maybe even six shadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Two hours later, Bowie finally gives up waiting and then sees Sarandon in the stairwell on his way out. She had dismissed him as a crackpot. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> but she can see that he has obviously aged in the two hours since she saw him last, transforming completely into old Bowie. Um, which is it's actually a pretty cool little sequence of him waiting and aging as he waits. And that nobody in the waiting room remarks on whatsoever. Look, if I was sitting next to a dude and he aged that fucking rapidly while I was waiting, I would probably be a little disconcerted and notify the medical people right away to do something. But... <laughs> You know, it's the 80s. No one paid attention to anything. They were all just so high, they didn't care. Everybody was too self-absorbed. And if you're willing to willingly enter a waiting room in a crazy monkey clinic, you got to expect some weird shit. True. <laughs> uh, yeah. Granted, everyone was just staring at their phones, right? Now Sarandon is thoroughly intrigued, and she tries to apologize and get him to stay, but he is pissed off and wants nothing more to do with her. He yells at her with all of the old man rage and spittle he can muster before storming out. Maybe he's just afraid of Americans. <laughs> <laughs> On his way home, Old Bowie impotently attacks a solar roller disco enthusiast trying to have a perfectly innocent flash dance moment under a bridge, but his tiny necklace dagger, trademark, misses its mark. Old Bowie just doesn't have the gumption to take down an 80s roller skating bridge person anymore, and that's just sad. It's hard going through ch ch ch, -ch changes That, no, you're on notice. You're Turn on notice. Turn and face the strange. Nope, nope, nope. We're not, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. All right. Dejected and still possessed by the hunger, he comes home. No one knows where Deneuve is, but old Bowie is home alone until Alice comes by. Well, well, maybe just a little snack, right? Maybe just a smidge of a young American to take the edge off. Who's ready for snacks? Ooh, snacks. Oh, all right. Kumquats? Kumquats. Pickled kumquats. What the fuck? Hey. But I, I just need someone to help me with the... Uh, Biscuits, yes, the heavy, heavy biscuits. What are you talking about? Seriously, this guy? I think I pulled a ligament, you see. So if one of you would be so good as to lend a hand. Pulled more than a ligament. Fine, fine, anything to get this over with. Come on. Is this even the way to the biscuit vault? This is the way to death. I'm sorry, are you trying to do something to me? Well, you know, this reminds me. Wasn't there a serial killer who used to pretend to have a broken arm and get people to help him carry stuff? Yes, Ted Bundy, you fool! Yes. 
Yes, yes, that's that's right. Hey, you reminded me of something. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> don't forget the biscuits. We'll see you in a few moments. Oh, Bundy! just thought of something. Uh, this uh, whole thing with Bowie trying to stalk and kill people has a total serial killer vibe. And like, Deneuve and Bowie are shown as being the ultimate swinger serial killer couple, which actually sounds kind of phony, right? Well, actually, as it turns out, there was a real serial killer swinging couple. Um, you guys ever heard of, of Gerald and Charlene Gallego? I think it's probably Gallego. Um, I have not. Yeah, Gallego. No, don't think so. I, I'm yeah. sure it's, it's pronounced Gallego, but because, uh, you know, it was Sacramento in the set, late 70s, people... Anglicized, probably... yeah. No, I get yeah. it. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say Gallego because I think that's mm. how he said it. Um, but honestly, I, get, I don't give a fuck how this guy said it because he was a serial mm. killer and he was an asshole. But I'll say Gallego. Because how people knew him. Anyway. Serial... Um, a serial killing couple that swings in the 1970s. Why am I not surprised? Well, no, no, it's actually quite rare um, because even up, even back then, this because this was the heyday of serial killers, like right. Everybody was focused on it after the Zodiac killer. I mean, there were serial killers who preceded them, but the 60s and 70s were pretty heavy. You know, in there were a lot of serial killers in operation, and there are not that many swinger couples. And this it made international press. So, uh, one of the things mm. about Gerald and Charlene Gallego was that they would kidnap young women and as sex slaves and then abuse them and then murder them. And this was going on between 1978 and 1980. And in fact, one of the places where they picked up victims was at the sale in on Jefferson Boulevard uh, that I live like maybe a half a mile away from at best. Like, oh, I mean, God. I passed by it when we were moving into the place where I live. My dad points it out. He's like, hey, that's a sale in. I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, do you know that that's where a serial killer couple used to hunt? I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, I yeah. No, I mean, if you that. give your business such a terrible pun of a name as the sale in, you're kind of asking for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, there was another thing that happened too, which I think this may have, I think, I think the Gallegos may have been, and uh, one of the other funny things about, about, uh, uh, Gerald Gallego, which honestly, this guy really should have just been a goth instead of a murderer because, um, you know, he was married seven times, including twice to the same woman. Um, and wow. then uh, married. Always a good sign of a stable relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, Char she didn't Charlene, learn her lesson at all, did she? Well, Charlene, his, his partner in crime, was actually from Stockton. <laughs> oh, it, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, he was still married to a previous wife when he married Charlene. So this guy is, is a, um, he just like, he was a. Or bigamist. Uh, bigamist, bigger than me at least. Right. <laughs> <laughs> idiot, that's the word, idiot. Yeah, yeah. idiot. Um, but he had been arrested 23 times um, and uh, had been convicted of robbery. That's a prime murder. number. Yeah, he was he was uh, uh, he had served prison time, had been arrested 23 times. But yeah, um, he is known. They are known for uh, for kidnapping, usually like two girls at a time. There were um, uh, about 10 victims when they were captured. 
Oh man! Uh, finally got captured. But yeah, they they were all over Sacramento in the late seventies and early eighties. And one of the other notable serial killers of the era was uh, Richard Chase, also known as the Vampire of Sacramento, because he was known for drinking his victims' blood and cannibalizing them. Oh, um, he lived over. God, Sacramento was pretty shitty in the seventies and eighties, wasn't it? No, no, no. I'll explain why that was the case. But I think, I think, I don't know. But I was. Did it really change. get any better? <laughs> well, I was hoping we would get an and we would get an interview with uh, Whitley Strieber for this, but we didn't. Um, I wanted to ask him specifically: Were these people who were inspiring you to write this novel that got adapted into this movie? Because I mean, these people were op- like like Richard Chase, the Vampire of Sacramento, and um, the Gallego swinger serial killers were operating around the same time, like between 1977 and 1980. So Richard Chase killed people, six people between 77 and 78. And then um, right after that were the Gallegos doing their things where they got 10 people. Um, the sad thing about Richard Chase, though, is he was a very, very sick person. Like it wasn't, he wasn't just like a, a sociopath who, you know, got off on murdering people like the Gallegos did. This was somebody who was like seriously like a schizophrenic, like had, uh, yes. and then got fixated on on blood and like uh like nicholas like nicholas cage's character in uh that one vampire movie yes the great nicholas cage vampire film con air (laughs) you hadn't said vampire yet i was just (laughs) but But, uh, yeah wasn't there that nicholas cage film where he thinks he's a vampire vampire's kiss yes the vampire's kiss but yeah, no, sad, sadly, like Richard Chase is a very sick person. But to, 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 to what Hope was saying, though, um, about like Sacramento being a terrible place, any city was a terrible place in that time. And this is why. Has anybody heard of lead crime theory? Yes, no. I've oh, heard yeah, of that. The lead paint. Yeah. No, it wasn't lead paint. It was tetraethyl lead as a gasoline additive. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was added oh, in the right. 1920s. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things, and I have to say, you know, the, this was actually Mother Jones magazine um, uh, who broke this story. Uh, Kevin Drum, who is, uh, did just a groundbreaking piece of research journalism in 2013 when he did a massive comparison of violent crime rates with lead emissions. And he was found that they were that rates of violent crime rose as lead vapor air pollution rose with about a 20 year lead time. So as people were increasingly exposed to lead 20 years later, violent crime rates were uh, were equivalently higher. I was going to say, because like in the same area, too, at the same time, you had the trailside killers down in like Mm -hmm. the Santa Cruz Mountains, too, who were operating. Yeah, yeah there's it's, a, there's it's a not all bad of... news, though. I mean, those car engines were running sweet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is insane. Who let them put lead in gasoline to begin with? Like, what was the point? Why did they even want it in there? Oh, there's oh. a whole thing about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, caused, was, uh... it caused less efficient engines to be able to run better, basically. So they could use shittier gasoline and add this as an additive so that it wouldn't cause engine knock. So it was all an industry thing. Engines weren't, didn't have to be made with as much precision so that, you know, the car industry could half-ass building the engines and the, the oil industry didn't have to refine their oil as intensely. They could just use shitty oil and shitty engines and add this anti-knock compound of tetraethyl lead and everybody could get around just fine. But what was really fascinating about the research that I was trying to get to is the fact that 
not only were they able to show that the violent crime rose with exposure to lead, but after leaded gasoline was abolished in a given country, violent crime rates consequently lowered. And it was, it was shown not just from the macro level, where you could look at it, the crime rate nationally, but you could take it all the way down from the, from, from the national to the state, to the county, to the city, and even to the neighborhood level where they Damn. saw them. Yeah, and it was shown um, from country to country, and, it, and, and the, the, the graphs were almost exactly the same um, based on when a given country abolished leaded gasoline. So it was really, really phenomenal reporting. Um, so shout out to Mother Jones magazine. And it's, it's, it's interesting. So if you're into that shit, you should read about it. Man, we are just like a regular connections here. I mean, going from the hunger to goth to vampires to serial killers to engine knock to climate change to the birth of the universe. We yeah, are now let's sm- just see if we can get James Burke out here, huh? <laughs> yeah, we are some smart motherfuckers. We have no boundaries. We are infinite. And so, you and gosh. you hope just say we just review movies. This is what we do. This is how we stop Cinemania. Well, this is also something where we can say, Andre, you guys uh, in Gen Z have it a lot better than we had it because you didn't have to grow up with all the lead contamination. Yeah, um, we kind of have that as a bit of a meme about your generation and the previous generation having bad takes on the Internet. We just comment lead poisoning and kind of leave it at that. (laughs) Well, uh, okay. Your prize is you get to live. That's also your punishment. That episode of the Cinemania Society featured Andy Slack, Ethan Ireland, Daniel Scribner, Andrea Palladino, Zachariah Burks, Andre Luke Martinez, and Hope Bravo. Written by Hope Bravo and Andy Slack. Story designed by Andy Slack. Produced by Ethan Ireland and Andy Slack. Mixed and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Graphic design by Andy Slack. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Visit our website at thecinemaniasociety.com podbean.com email us at the cinemania society at gmail.com and check out our social media feeds we're on twitter at tcs underscore cinemania and reddit at r slash the cinemania society if you liked what you heard please rate and review wherever you found us mention us on social media or find us on ko-fi to throw us a few bones we love to make fun stuff for folks but it isn't free anything and everything helps the cinemania society will be creating pieces of video media short films and the like. So stay tuned, Cinemaniacs. The Cinemania Society is a production of the Cinemania Society, LLC.